0: We begin to look at what are the habits and the behaviors of the very successful people. And what I did when I wrote the Success Principles book and now with the Success Principles workbook was to interview 75 of the most successful people in North America. And what are the thoughts they think? What are the books they read? What do they do? Do they exercise, you know, et cetera? And what are their, let's call them disciplines of success. And really that's what the Success Principles book is, are the ways these people operate their life.
1: Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Back in 2008, during the heart of the recession, I was given a book that changed my life. Now I don't say that lightly because I am obsessed with books and I've read a lot of books that have had a massive impact on my life, but this one, ooh, it was a game change because up until this point at age 28 years old, I had believed that life was hard and that you had to fight and work extremely hard to create any level of success because success would never come easy, let alone flow into your life. Now this book broke down concepts that I'd never heard or considered before and the book shifted my mindset and opened the door to dream bigger and create a bigger vision for myself because I really hadn't done that in the past and I know in my heart of hearts that this book can do that for you too. Now the book was Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And I remember reading two statements back in the day that had a huge impact on me when I first picked up the book to read it. The first statement was, if you want to be successful, you have to take 100% responsibility for everything that you experience in life. And this was powerful to me at the time because it felt like everything was happening to me and not for me. I was not taking any ownership for the role that I played in all of it. I just felt like a victim of my circumstances. Little did I know at the time that the recession would set me up to create the life that I have now. And the second statement was, you have control of only three things in your life, the thoughts you think, the images you visualize, and the actions that you take, basically your behavior. Now, this second quote by Jack Canfield has stayed with me since 2008 because it has had such a repeatable, massive impact in my life. Now, it reminds me of what Napoleon Hill states in Think and Grow Rich. First comes thought, then organization of that thought into ideas and plans, then transformation of those plans into reality. The beginning, as you will observe, is in your imagination. I realized that my success was determined by taking ownership of the decisions I made and by imagining, visualizing, and then taking action. I realized too, in that moment, as I'm reading the Napoleon Hill quote, is that everything is created twice. The shirt that you're wearing right now, the car that you drive, even the apps on your phone, they first had to be someone's idea, someone's concept or someone's dream before they actually built it. Now, right now, each and every one of us has the opportunity to visualize ourselves on the other side of this pandemic. And that's exactly what Jack Canfield will be sharing with us today. Even during this time of crazy uncertainty, I am focusing on going inward and working on myself. Personally, I am focusing on mindfulness and my mindset. Now, I do have a little bit more time than normal because we're home right now. Normally, I'm traveling extensively, especially in the months of March, April, and May. I was actually going to be gone Half of those three months, so like a month and a half, I was going to be traveling the whole time. So I definitely have that space to go inward, but I'm talking about like 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here, not a ton of time. I am still quite an efficient person. I know that you can appreciate efficiency. So, one of the things that I've been doing is I have been writing in my journal. Now, I know I've mentioned my journal a couple of times here on the podcast, and I cannot tell you. It has been the anchor that has kept me solid through big wins and also big, big learning failures. I always think about a failure as really big-time learning lessons that allow me to get back up and go and accomplish the thing. So I always think about failing as something that you fail forward. However, this journal, I remembered that... It was because of Success Principles that inspired me to buy the Speed Dial the Universe journal back in 2009, about a year after I got the Success Principles book. I remember when I saw the journal, I thought it could be the gateway into me creating my dreams, which it very much has been. I cannot tell you how incredible of an anchor this journal has been for me in the last 11 years i mean honestly would anyone do something for 11 years if it wouldn't have created success for them i will definitely have a link for the journal if you want to go and check it out and see if it maybe connects in and aligns with what you're looking to create as well now right now my journal and prayer have been the two tools that i use to attract my vision into my life because they are a daily practice And they set the tone for mindset and behaviors to launch me towards my dreams. Now, if you don't have a daily mindset practice yet, Jack and I are going to be talking about some practical tips that you can begin to integrate every single day into your life, especially right now, where some of us, maybe many of us have the time to do so. Now, before I bring Jack Kenfold on to share his wisdom with each of us, I just want to take a moment and celebrate you. Because yes, even during the pandemic, we are having wins. And I promise you, if you can just see that little good in those moments, oh my gosh, it just opens up the world for so much possibility. So one particular healing rock star is Samantha, and I'm excited to share out her win that she shared on Instagram literally just a couple of days ago. This is what Samantha had to say. I've been listening to your podcast daily, trying to catch up. I have never heard about my hormones or my body in this way. And now, because I'm working a bit less right now, I feel like it's the best time to focus on me. Honestly, this is the first time I've really focused on listening to my body, and I almost want to cry because my body is so tired. I just haven't slowed down long enough to even realize it. But I feel supported with each episode. I know that everything I need is in these interviews. Well, thank you, Samantha, for sharing your win. And I'm so happy that you've got the time to go through these interviews and to listen to your body and to focus on a healing plan that's going to help set you up. Because you shared, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my national best-selling book. I think it'll be a great resource for you. It's the Essential Oils Hormone Solution. Just reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and we will get it to you ASAP. Now, if you are listening, I am so happy to have you on this episode with me and Jack Canfield. And if this podcast in any way, all 100 and practically 80 episodes have helped you, I would love to shout you out as well. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or simply review this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you love to plug into. That way, together, we are helping to serve more women become the CEO of their health. Now, I would love to bring on Jack Canfield to share his incredible insights on how we can step into our own success in all areas of our life. But before I bring him on, I want to quickly sing his praises. Jack Canfield is the co-creator of Chicken Soul for the Soup series. He's developed 42 New York Times bestsellers and holds the Guinness Book of World Record for having seven books on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. Known as America's number one success coach, he has studied and reported on what makes successful people different. Over the last 40 years, his compelling message, empowering energy, and personable coaching style has helped hundreds of thousands of individuals achieve their dreams worldwide. He's been a featured guest on more than a thousand radio and television programs, and he lives in Santa Barbara, California. Let's welcome him on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Jack Canfield. How are you doing today, Jack?
0: I am really well. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here. You know, one of the first things I want to just ask you is, I know you have helped millions of people create the success they want, the results they want, including myself, and I'd love to just have you just briefly talk about what inspired you to do the work that you do. Like, what what did it look like that day where you thought to yourself, you know what, I, I have a bigger message to share?
0: Well, it started subtly. I, I started my career as a high school teacher in Chicago. I was teaching history in an all-Black inner-city school. And I very quickly learned that my students were not motivated to learn. They didn't believe in themselves. And so I became much more interested in how to motivate them. And it led to like developing self-esteem and self-confidence. And so by the end of that first year of teaching, I had taken a workshop with a man named W. Clement Stone, who was a good friend of Napoleon Hill. They co-wrote a book together. And Napoleon Hill, as you know, wrote Think and Grow Rich. So basically, I was exposed at the age of probably about 22 or 23 to all of this thinking in terms of you know positive mental attitude and goals and visualization affirmations taking action asking for feedback not giving up all that kind of stuff so after a few years of teaching high school I was so good at it that the teachers the school system asked me to start teaching other teachers and then I started uh, traveling all around the midwest working for the the Stone Foundation teaching teachers workshops and that was exciting and then what happened is in the what was it, about 1993 to the first Gulf War? And uh, all the teacher money dried up. There was no money for conferences. There was no money for in-service education. And I realized I had to, to re-vector my work into the world of adults and uh, you know people that were in the general public. And I'd also been married to a psychologist for a while who trained me to be a psychologist. This was before licensing laws were in Massachusetts. So I had a private practice, and I wanted to take these same principles of human potential and overcoming your childhood traumas and all of that into the schools and then eventually into the general public. So it was a gradual progression.
1: I love it. Thank you so much. I wanted to just, I was telling you before we got started that in 2008, I had just finished grad school and I was going out into the world. And before I had finished grad school, I had been a biochemist. So my whole life, I had just kind of been in in the lab and I hadn't ever thought about entrepreneurship or even any concept around visualization or the law of attraction or really stepping up to create and well, really more so having a vision for creating what you want. And so I was given, I was given this book. I know we're talking about this today. We're talking about the workbook and this book completely changed my life. And you can tell it's, it's traveled with me for quite some time. But one of the first things that I took away from it was if you want to be successful, you have to take 100% responsibility for everything that you experience in life. And that was like a major, drop down i was like i just owned that so much from there on out can you talk a little bit about how that has played out for you in your life as you've guided yourself through creating success and how you've seen that play out in other people's lives as well
0: well i think when i grew up my dad was a blamer and a complainer he was someone who blamed the rich people the corporations the government for everything that wasn't working in his life and i think i probably picked up on that because that's the culture i grew up in and it was when I met Stone and he, he asked me three questions on my first interview. Do you take a hundred percent responsibility for your life? And I said, I think so. He said, son, it's a yes or no question. So do you do or don't you? And I said, I, I'm not sure. I don't even understand the question. He said, have you blamed anyone for anything in the last week? I said, yeah. Have you complained about anything? I said, yeah. You've made an excuse about anything. I said, yeah. He said, then you don't take hundred percent responsibility. So. That was the beginning of my education to realize that the thoughts I think, the images I hold in my head, the things I say and do and don't do, those are the things that are creating my reality and that everything I'm currently experiencing is the result of choices I made in the past and everything I'm going to cre- experience in the future are the result of the choices I'm making now. The food I eat, the people I hang out with, the television shows I watch, the books I read or don't read, you know, whether I exercise or not, all of those things are under my control and a lot of people will go they'll say like well i'm not responsible for getting cancer and i'll say well let me ask you a few questions do you only eat an alkaline plant-based diet no do you cleanse on a regular basis no do you take saunas or steam baths so that you raise the temperature in your body to kill off microbes and things no do you uh, juice no are you eating you know Tomatoes, we find out, are not good now because of the, you know, it leads to, you know, leaky gut syndrome and all the lectin. So, do you uh, have Wi Fi in your home? Are you wearing, uh, you know, earbuds like the little things that people have now that are sending EMFs into their brain? No. Well, why not? I didn't know you were supposed to do those things. Well, who's responsible to find out the things you need to know? It's really critical that we take responsibility for learning how to manage this body we've been given. I noticed you've got an essential oil book behind you there on the shelf. So I assume that's you. And you uh, did essential oils, which is a great thing. So am I. And so the reality is that most people are ignorant. They're spending their time binge watching on television instead of taking responsibility for their life, their happiness, their financial state, and their state of abundance, the quality of their relationships, and so forth.
1: Well, Jack, you mentioned you know that first step. Let's say if we were wanting to really take care of our bodies, really wanting to have a body that is full of vitality and joy and energy, that there is responsibility that we have to take, and that first step is really that knowledge and and seeking out that information. You know, when people are looking at the idea of taking responsibility for their life, and they're not exactly sure how to do that. What is the first step? And I know you cover this in the book as well. Like what would be that first step to really taking ownership of the the decisions that you're making every single day?
0: Well, the first thing, there's a little formula in the book that I think is transformative. It says E plus R equals O. It stands for events plus response equal your outcomes. And if you don't like the outcomes of what you're experiencing now, everything you're experiencing now is an outcome of a previous choice in the past. So ask yourself, am I as healthy as I want to be? Am I as wealthy as I want to be? Am I as calm and peaceful and happy and fulfilled and content as I want to be? Am I happy in my relationships? You know, so on and so forth. And if the answer is no, then you have to ask yourself, how am I creating this? There's an exercise I have in the book and I also have in the workbook called difficult and troubling experiences. And you start with, what's a difficult or troubling experience in your life? And you say, well, it might be my relationship with my son then you say how are you creating or promoting or allowing that to happen well i don't talk to him that much i avoid difficult conversations i'm a single mom he's my only friend you know if i get if he gets upset with me i won't have anyone in my life we call that emotional incest by the way so what happens is that the next question is what what am i pretending not to know you know i had a client who was living in new york who was being robbed about every 3 months and i said well Describe your living quarters. Well, it's a first floor apartment, New York City. And I said, do you have bars on the window? No. Do you have a triple lock on the door? No. So the third question is, what are you pretending not to know? And he, and he said, I don't know. I said, you're pretending not to know you live in a first floor apartment in New York City. So the reality is you are going to get robbed because that's crazy. You're not you're not protecting yourself. And then it's like, what would I rather have? And then how could I create it? And what's, the, what's it going to cost me? You know, there's, there's always a payoff for keeping it like it is. I remember literally I was in New York and I went up to a person, this person in a seminar said, would you come visit my, my husband in the hospital after we're done? I said, sure. And so I went to see him and he was going to have an operation. And I said, I have a healing technique that I think is about 80% likely to heal you. You wouldn't need the operation. And he said, no, I want the operation. And I said, why? He said, I think it's good for three months off work. So here's a guy who's going to put his life at risk for, in terms of all kinds of you know, bacteria, blood transfusions that could be tainted, you know, neurological problems that could happen. But he was willing to do that for the three weeks off work. There's kids in school that get in trouble all the time because that's the only time their parent ever pays attention to them. So there's always a payoff. You know, when we were in school, if we were sick, we got, we did, we'd have to take a test. We got to eat ice cream or ginger ale and the TV was in our room, you know, whatever it is. So it was a payoff for being sick. So then it takes you down to a couple more questions. What would you rather have? What would you have to do to get it? And how committed are you doing? But if you take yourself through that exercise with any area of your life where you're not satisfied, you begin to see, oh, I'm participating and keeping this going. And therefore then you begin to go wow, I really am responsible And so you begin to say, okay, what would I rather have and then you can start creating it using the rest of the principles that are in the books
1: I love that. I love that upgraded thought of what would I rather have? You know, what can I do from where i'm at right now with what i've got? It reminds me a lot of as you're telling that story of the the limiting beliefs that we get stuck in the stories that we get stuck in And how often a lot of those stories are the reason why we have them is the false positives that they bring to our lives that people don't realize. Like an example of someone saying that I'm not I'm not marriage material. And a false positive to that is like you don't have to go out and try to meet somebody. You can just stay at home. You can keep telling that story to your friends to gather sympathy. Can you talk a little bit about how we can get trapped inside of our limiting beliefs? I know this is a part of the book, too. This was eye-opening for me. Like I had, I had never even thought about limiting beliefs or stories that I had been trapped in, kind of that victimhood mentality, until I had read this book for the first time in 2008. And it just dawned on me how many stories that were holding me back from what I could possibly become.
0: Sure. Well, we all have... Beliefs that come from our childhood. Most of our beliefs are actually formed between the ages of three and eight. And I often tell people if you were getting on an airplane and you saw a six year old pilot walk into the pilot seat and get on the, you know, sit behind the, the steering wheel of the plane, most people would freak out because you wouldn't think you had much experience. Well, most of us are walking around with a three year old, and eight year old running our life. And so basically, what happens is we make these beliefs at the time to help us understand what's going on. And then we forget we made the belief. And then we're being run by this belief subconsciously. Uh, Give you an example, working on a book right now with another psychologist, and uh, we're talking about how to get unstuck. And uh, there was a woman who was a Olympic level athlete who was doing really great in practice. Her times were amazing, but when she would compete, she wouldn't do as well. And uh, we we work this process we have that we take people through is one that's powerful as heck and she ended up back when she was about 10 she's in her room and she asked her mother mom why don't you display my trophies my medals and my ribbons like all my other teammates get at their house they have bulletin boards and trophy cases and the mother said well whenever you bring a trophy home or a ribbon it makes your brother feel bad because he never gets those and so she decided i don't want to hurt my brother's feelings so i'm not going to win And so here she is now. She's 23 years old. She's a world class athlete, but she's not winning because every time she goes to race, some subconscious thing inside of her says, If I win, I'm going to hurt my brother. I'm going to hurt the people I love. Once we were able to help her see that she had made that decision and it wasn't accurate and that she wasn't responsible for other people's decisions and other people's feelings, she was able to let that go. And now her times are as good or better in competition than they were before. I had another client who after college, this was older in his life, but he came home from work with his first paycheck right after college. He got a job in the same company his father had been working in for for 11 years. And his paycheck in his first month was bigger than his father's paycheck. It was a commission check. And he goes to show it to his dad to show him how proud he is. And his dad just kind of slumps down and walks out of the room. And later his mother says, yeah, your dad was really hurt because he, he felt bad that he was making less money than you. So he didn't want to hurt his dad. So basically, he decided, I'll never make more money than my father. Well, here he was now, 43, making one-tenth of what he was potentially able to make. Once he realized that and let it go, the next year, he made over a million and a half dollars. So the reality is we all have these beliefs. And as you said, we have stories that we tell ourselves. You know, it's not safe to do this. It's not OK to do that. Money doesn't grow on trees. You know. I remember working in in Australia in a workshop and there was this woman who was inherited wealthy and she was hiding it. She was dressing like a hippie. She wouldn't use her money. And she just said, you know, all I've ever seen is money destroy a family because her parents, you know, never were there for her. They were always out working. They fought a lot about it. And so I I don't want to have that in my life. There's a group called the Donuts Group, which is all inherited millionaires, kids in 20s. And uh, they all hide their money one kid once he was getting these checks and he just kept throwing them into a box in the in the closet and he realized one day that they couldn't pay their rent so he said well i'll open up one of the checks it was for 100,000 dollars his dad had invented opuphonic print which is those numbers on the bottom of your checks that look like little computer things and he, he had 8 million dollars worth of checks in his closet but he didn't want to own them because he felt guilty about it you know so the reality is we have to let those go and there are some powerful tools for doing that
1: Hmm. I' just wanted to have you touch upon that because I know that that comes up so much for people. I think more than anything is that we just get stuck by our own belief mechanisms that what we were brought up with or unconsciously you know thinking about as children that keep playing out for us as adults. absolutely.
0: Well, just to give you one more example. I was working with a company called Isogenics, which is a multi level marketing weight loss company. And one of the things that kept showing up for these very, very obese women, people that were up you know, in the 280 to 300 pound range, when they would start to lose weight, which they would because the products worked, they would start to get into these levels of fear. And when we really worked with them, what we found was that almost every single one of them had been sexually abused as a child. And their solution to that was to be not attractive. And as they started to lose weight and became more attractive, it brought up all these fears that men are going to come onto me and I won't know what to do. And they're going to take advantage of me. So. There's so many subconscious fears that we have based on these beliefs and you have to literally face them and then release them and then reprogram them
1: I want to just shift gears a little bit. You know, right now we just happen to be interviewing during a time where a lot of people are feeling like life is happening to them and they don't necessarily have or think that there is a way of changing that outcome, that life isn't happening for them. I would love to have you share your take on the law of attraction about how our thoughts, our feelings, and our beliefs kind of play a role in what we attract. And then like, how can we begin to shift that, especially right now where people are really feeling the opposite?
0: well as we're all dealing with you know the coronavirus or covid-19 however you want to call it is there's a lot of fear out there and, and and so let's start by examining fear for a minute fear is the result of imagining something in the future that hasn't happened yet that's bad and so right now in the present moment people that are watching this you and i we're healthy we're okay We have food in the pantry. (laughs) We have food in the refrigerator. We have our pets, our our family around us. We have television shows to watch. We have books to read. We have some money for most of us. We have credit cards, which we can certainly amp up if we need to. So in order to be afraid, you have to imagine something in the future, like I'm going to lose my house. My restaurant won't be able to open again. I'll never get that job again. You know, my husband will get sick. My parents are going to die, you know, whatever it is. But the fact is that's not happening right now. So fear, as you know, lowers your vibration. Whenever you're in fear, you're back in the amygdala, which is the back part of the brain, which hijacks the prefrontal cortex, which is where rational thinking and creative thinking, which we all need to be rational now, we need to be creative. You know, nobody needs 7,000 rolls of toilet paper. I I saw a cartoon recently where it showed this guy, he'd built an igloo out of toilet paper, and he was kind of peeking out, you know, (laughs) it's like hide in here until the virus is gone.
1: Everyone's just building igloos with toilet paper.
0: (laughs) There you go. So what, what happens is that we want to be maintaining our vibration as high. We want to be thinking positive thoughts. So we're going to get through this. I'm going to be surviving. If you look at the facts, you know, depends on who you listen to. Bill Gates, who had predicted this kind of pandemic in 2015 and said, we're not prepared. He was right. Nobody listened. He was being interviewed on CNN the night before we recording this, and he said maybe one percent of the population will die. Well, that means ninety-nine percent we're all safe. And so then the question becomes, goes back to E plus R equals O. The events called the coronavirus pandemic. Your response is your thoughts. Are you thinking positive thoughts? I'm going to get through this. I'm healthy. I'm doing the right things. Your images, which is being on the other side of this, you still have your home, you still have your job, your, you know, you might, your bank account might be a little less for a while, your stocks might go down for a while. They always come back. You know, being 75, I have the advantage of having lived through the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement, three recessions, 9 uh, 11. it always comes back. You know it takes a while, but it always comes back. So it, everyone listening to this, think about this: you have survived everything that ever happened to you. You are a survivor. That is your history, That is, you know. so we're still here. So the reality is that we have the ability to control our responses. So thinking, that's the main one. Your feelings are the result of your thoughts. We know that from all the work that's been done lately. Now, the second thing is, what do you do? We know if you're in your rational brain, you go out and you look at the research. There's all kinds of research on what you should be eating and what you shouldn't be eating. We know you shouldn't be eating sugar. We know you shouldn't be eating fats right now, even even oils and, and, and nut butters and things like that. Viruses love fats. They love sugar. They love alcohol. So basically, let's cut back. Let's alkalize our diet. Let's be doing juicing and, you know, alkalizers and things like that. Let's raise our body temperature through exercise, hot yoga, but in your own home, not in a group somewhere. And also, if you can take a sauna or a steam bath, do that if you can get out in the sun wherever you are as we record this there's going to be a heat wave in the south this weekend that's really a good thing get out there and get some sun up level your vitamin c d b12 etc so all these things are available online if you look so that's another response it's intelligent you know also communicate with people you love i love this thing this one woman said the other day the the four m's mindfulness pay attention to your body If you're sitting around, get up, stretch, breathe. If you're feeling scared, focus on your thoughts, change your thoughts. You can always change your thought to a more positive thought. Mindfulness and meditation. Meditation raises your vibration, especially if you visualize every cell. I visualize light coming down through the top of my head, going up my heart to the people I love, and then bringing it back and putting it in every cell in my body. When I do that, I go, I get into a very high space. There's a wonderful thing online from Dawson Church called Echo Meditation, which it literally, if you do this meditation for seven days in a row, it raises the immunofactors in your blood, and the immunoglobins by 113 percent. So just seven days of this meditation technique. So those, so that two of the M's: meditate, movement. If you move, it brings you into the present moment, and it also helps keep your immune system high. Mastery. Do anything you're good at. If you love to play the piano and you're good at it, play the piano. It brings you into the present moment. You're out of fear and you're not watching television. You're not watching all the statistics. You're still sheltering in place, whatever. And the last one is meaningful communication. Reach out to people. You know, Stay connected so you're not isolated.
1: Hmm. I love all of those things. And we've been talking so much about those things on the podcast here. One of the things I want to dial in that you spoke about is that when we are in that state of fear, the amygdala absolutely hijacks our our prefrontal cortex, our our thought-making process, and we move into a different type of physiological state, right, a stress state. And so I love the recommendations for you know, upgrading our thoughts, becoming more creative in those moments, taking some deep breaths, meditating, moving to keep us in the now so that we can go into that creative state. I know you could speak to this better than I can, but when we are in a fear state, we are making irrational thoughts. We're making reactive decisions. But if we can get into a relaxed state, a calm state where our prefrontal cortex is activated, we can create more creative thoughts. We can upgrade the way that we're thinking about this moment. And, and like you said, connect into that mastery um, two things that I was I was speaking to um, a good friend of mine dr. Joan Rosenberg we were talking about creativity, and then how we can show up in the world so how we can contribute and you know it's it's really difficult to stay in a fear based mindset or to get stuck in our stuff our victimhood mindset if we are going out and supporting other people if we're contributing to the world whatever that contribution may be and so i just it really just aligned with everything that you just said about how we can really upgrade the way that we treat this scenario
0: yeah, I would just add one of the chapters in my Success Principles book is if you want to get wealthy, help other people get wealthy. If you want to be of service to anybody in any way, it's always going to come back to you, multiplied. And so, my wife, for example, was leading a meditation class online last night, and she was she. Was, my wife's very spontaneous and fun and all that, and not the you know kind of person. She's really dynamic, and she got four emails this morning saying, "Thank God you were so fun last night. I needed that, you know." And so. Whether it's just calling your your, your in-laws and your mother and, and giving them some support or your children, or whether it's being the person in the neighborhood who's going to go and buy groceries for the people that can't get out, maybe the people that are more at risk because of pre-existing conditions. In my neighborhood, I live in a, in a kind of, a, it's not a gated community, but it's a more wealthy community. And a lot of the kids are out of school right now. Most of them have cars because they're wealthy. And 40 kids got together and created this angels group. And they they put out notices to everyone's mailbox in this area. If you need someone to go to the store, if you run out of toilet paper, if you need medicine from the CVS pharmacy, whatever it might be, we're there for you. We will do it. And these kids are like, the whole community is coming together. You know, we're seeing a lot of scaremongering on TV. There's a group in Canada that created something called caremongering, where they're saying, okay, how can we support our neighbors? And one woman just sent out stuff to her neighbors and they sent it out and a thousand people signed up within a, a day. And now there's like 20,000 people all across the country in Canada that have become part of this caremongers group. So the idea being that we all, when you're in service, you're not thinking of yourself, you're not in fear. And so obviously it's really important to be of service. It's a, the two highest things you can be in right now is love, gratitude and appreciation and service and joy. Those are are the highest vibrations.
1: Can you speak to me a little bit about gratitude and how gratitude really kind of elevates, elevates not only our energy, elevates that vibration you're talking about, but what could that lead to for us? Like if we get into that state of gratitude?
0: Well, I do a gratitude exercise every day at the end of my meditation and I do it by breathing in through my heart. I learned this from the Heart Math Institute, which you're probably familiar with breathing in through my heart, breathing out through my heart, and then focusing on someone or something or someplace i I really appreciate. Nine times out of ten, it's my wife. The other time it's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> <Love> it. <laughs> so I send this, this beam of light energy out to them. And I see my wife or my dog surrounded by all this love and, and that's over. And then I bring it back to myself. And then I send it to my cells. So every cell in my body is filled with appreciation and gratitude. And then I also think about all the other things I'm grateful for, this rampage of appreciation that Abraham teaches through Esther Hicks, the idea that I'm sitting here, I'm grateful to have an opportunity in the middle of this coronavirus to be promoting my new workbook, and I'm, I'm, I look out the window. It's a sunny day in Southern California. I see the palm trees on my property, the oak trees, a blue sky. I see all the books surrounding me, which I get to read and benefit from. I see my phone, which works, my computer works, my desk, which is here, you know, this wonderful water that I get to drink. I'm grateful for all the food that is in my pantry. I could just go on and, on and on. And so when I do that, I get high. It's like, you know, I have been stoned before. I did inhale when I was younger. And so I know what that feels like. And the reality is that I actually feel, I can feel the vibrational difference in my body when I do that. And therefore, my cells are healthier. I feel energized. I'm coming from love. And think about this. We are attracted to people who are vibrating at a high level. You know, I used to say if Robin Williams walked into a room, most people would gravitate over there because he's so interesting and fun and funny. Now, we know later that he was also dealing with a lot of, you know, self-doubt and things like that. But the reality is that we tend, I used to do this exercise in my trainings where I'd have 300 people stand up, close their eyes, and have to mill around and connect with people with their eyes closed. And, And they can make sounds but no words and eventually there'd be about 30 people just laughing their asses off over somewhere, maybe jumping up and down and laughing. Pretty soon, 90% of the group would gravitate toward them because they would gravitate toward the highest energy. And so if you're in this high space of love and joy and appreciation and gratitude, you're going to attract to you more people that want to do business with you, that want to connect with you, that can support your businesses, your abundance, and also your health. So I think gratitude is, is, is critical. Meister Eckhart, who was a German mystic, once wrote, if the only prayer you ever prayed was thank you, that would be enough. And you think about that. We're supposed to say grace before dinner or lunch or breakfast. We use the word gracias in Spanish, which is the same root word as grace and gratitude. So we, we receive grace by being in gratitude. The more I'm thankful, if you've ever given a gift to someone and they were enthusiastically thankful, You can't wait to give them something else. But if you give them a gift and they go, thank you, and they just throw it to the side, you're not so eager to do that. I think that works on the spiritual level as well.
1: I'm so glad. Thank you so much for jumping in and diving a little bit deeper into that because I think Ooh, it just shifts everything. I always tell people, you it's really hard to have a bad day when you start your day off with just being so grateful for the little things that you have in your life every single day. So I'm glad you're able to dial into that. I wanted to shift gears. I have a couple more questions for you. One of the other things that I loved inside of the Success Principles book, and I saw that you go into a deep dive into the workbook as well, is learning to act as if. And this was big for me. You know, we talk about belief mindset. And when I was growing up, my family did not think I was very smart. And I remember once I had a family member tell me that, You know, it's you just don't have a lot of natural talents, but if you dig into the grit and you dig into the hustle, like you just want it more than other people, you're going to create success. But when I read this, you know, I think that belief was still messing with me as I was growing older. I remember reading this book and, and hearing the act as if part, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I can step into something or kind of imagine myself living that life or or becoming that person and then taking those steps to get there. Can you extrapolate a little bit more on that and what it means and how we can step into this active as, as if mentality?
0: Sure. I'll share a couple of things with you. The first thing is that we become who we act as. In other words, there's a couple parts to this. Number one, you become the people you hang out with. So start acting as if you belong with the people you want to be. So you know, I used to tell people if you can afford it, travel business class. You're going to meet people uh, that are thinking different thoughts. You're going to it's just a different game you play. You want to read books by the people that you'd like to become. In other words, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, read books written by millionaires. You want to be a billionaire. I just wrote a forward to a book called The Billionaire Secret, and this guy interviewed 21 billionaires in 17 different countries. And what I found it was fascinating about this was that all these billionaires. Everyone from age like 40 to 81, they all got up between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. in the morning. There are books out there now called like The Miracle Morning, The 5.30 a.m. Club, things like that. Everyone but one meditated. Everyone but one exercised for at least a half an hour. Even if they were going to get up and get on their private jet at 4.30 to fly somewhere, they would get up at 3.30 and work out in the gym for half an hour. So we begin to look at what are the habits and the behaviors of the very successful people. And what I did when I wrote the Success Principles book and now with the Success Principles workbook was to interview 75 of the most successful people in North America. And what are the thoughts they think? What are the books they read? What do they do? Do they exercise, you know, et cetera? And what are their, let's call them disciplines of success. And really that's what the Success Principles book is, are the ways these people operate their life. The book came about because my son, when he was about 11, we were in bed one morning and on our computers, he's playing computer games. I'm thinking about things on the online, you know, and thinking about my next book. He says, dad, how come our house is bigger than all my friends' houses? And I said, well, because we have more money and we can afford it. How come we have more money than everyone else? Well, because I wrote all these books and I figured out how to sell them. Well, why did you do better than other authors? I know people who's got parents who write books. I said, well, I'm living my life by these principles. He said, what principles are those? And it made me think. So for the next hour, I wrote down every principle I was living my life by. Act as if, take 100% responsibility, use affirmations, whatever. And so literally what I've done is take all the things that people are doing and say, if you act like this, you will become that person. So a couple examples One of the exercises I do in my workshops is I do two things. One's called a millionaire cocktail party. So I have everyone stand up and say, okay, for the next 20 minutes, you're a millionaire. Or if you're already a millionaire, you're a multimillionaire. I want you to mill around and interact with people. The way you would act is if you were already a millionaire everybody was different people were more outgoing they were talking about all these things they were generous they were saying i just came back from my house in the the bahamas you know you ever want to come down there for a weekend you can do that people were more confident and then i stopped him i said how many people felt different when you were doing that how did you feel different they all explained it felt more powerful felt more enthusiastic i was more outgoing what changed oh were you really a millionaire? No. Were you acting like a millionaire? Yeah. So you acted differently when you thought you were that. The second thing is a friend of mine threw a party, which we now throw in our, all our chains, and it's called the it Come As You'll Be Party. They rented the Queen Mary. They said, I want everyone to come as you'll be five years from now if you achieved all your goals. So people showed up with three best selling books they've made mock covers of. People showed up with. Um, one guy wanted to be a, a sculptor so he's wearing a leather apron and he had his sculpture tours there was this one kid he was really cool he's 21 years old he was going every he had i think he had his brother call him every 10 minutes and he say no I told you, it's over. I'm not dating you anymore. We're done. I'm sorry. I know I'm the best sex you ever had. I'm not dating, but we're done. He'd hang up. And he did that all night for two hours. And finally he says, J-Lo, it's over. <laughs> like, and so it was like so cute. People come, one woman wanted to be a, a TV interviewer and interview people on the red carpet. She actually rented a red carpet and hired a camera crew to come film her interviewing people as they came into the party. We hired some paparazzi to be taking everyone's pictures as they came in so they feel like they were famous. It was so cool. And what was really more interesting is that five years later, almost everyone on that ship, every one of the dreams that they had talked about had come true. Because we, whenever we have an image that we believe and feel strongly about, as you know, from the law of attraction, when we activate that, what happens, it creates a dynamic tension between the current reality and the vision that we want to live. And so what happens is I found no better way to do that than to simply act as if you're already there. So for me, when I was growing up, and I learned this from W. Clement Stone way back when, I bought suits that were a little more than I could afford. I didn't buy a lot of them. I had two suits, but they were good suits. I had a nice pen, a Mont Blanc pen, which used to cost $79. It costs a lot more now. You know, I had three ties, but they were nice silk ties. I would eat in nice restaurants. I would eat out less often, but I started treating myself like I wanted to be. And I have a belief in life buy fewer things, but buy the best things, because then you get used to the best, hang out with people that are where you want to be. So that's basically how I play that. And I've found that it really works for people if they do that.
1: I love all the ways in which we can show up, the ways in which we can start acting as if how we want to, whatever our five-year goal is or who we want to become in the next several years. The last question before I ask a little bit more into the workbook is, you know, one of the things, and we we talked about fear a little while ago, and I, I get to work with a lot of incredible entrepreneurs and women that I get to support. But one of the things that I see happens a lot is that people don't take action on their dreams because they're so afraid of failure or not being perfect. And can you tell me a little bit about, can you shift our mindset around? Because to me, I always say either you are winning or you're learning. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how we can turn perceived failure into big successes?
0: Well, the first thing you have to do is confront your fears, not so much of failure, but the inner belief that you have to be perfect. Uh, I had a woman in a workshop once who told me when she graduated, she was 41 years old. And we started talking about this. She just burst into tears. And she had this memory of when she graduated from college. She graduated from Caltech, which is like the MIT of California. And she graduated number two, which, God almighty, that's amazing. The only thing her father said to her at graduation is, why weren't you number one? And she, you know, it's kind of like you get five A's and a B plus. And the parents go, what's that B plus doing there? Why didn't you get all As? And so you begin to believe that you're not okay unless you're perfect. And so that that becomes a fear. And so then basically to avoid not being perfect, I won't play. In other words, one of the ways to avoid failure is don't play. There's lots of ways to do that, but that's one of the big ones. And so we have to realize, first of all, that's something that's running us. We have to go back and find out that belief we have and change the belief that the only way you learn is by failing faster. You know, Bill Gates knows that Microsoft puts out programs. We've all bought them and they basically have all kinds of bugs in them. And every, we see that little screen come up and say, sorry, your program crashed. Should we send this information to Microsoft? And you go, yeah, because they're going to fix it and it won't crash in the future when you get your, you know, your updates. So basically if they waited till everything was perfect, there would be no Microsoft and Bill Gates wouldn't be worth billions of dollars. So we take people back. If you take the word fail, F-A-I-L, and you take the I and you just put a little line at the bottom, it's F-A-L-L. So when you were learning to walk, if your parents have said after 10 steps well you can't do this you've failed too many times i'm not going to give you i'm not going to keep teaching you how to walk you're just not learning fast enough no parent ever has a deadline for how long it takes you to learn to walk you fall down you get up you fall down you get up you fall down you get up and that is literally how we make success in life as we go off course we discover it didn't work so if anything you want to fail faster the faster you fail the more you learn i was talking with um guy, one of the guys from Shark Tank, Kevin, and he was saying that seven out of 10 businesses that he invests in fail miserably, but three out of 10 become awesome and make him a fortune. And he said, so I go into every business deal realizing this is probably going to be one of my failures. But if I don't take these chances, I'm not going to find the three that work. And so basically we have to be willing. What made Chicken Soup for the Soul such a phenomenal success is that when we And we kind of stumbled into it. You know, we had 120 stories that we wanted to put in the first book and we had committed ourselves to having 101. So now we got to eliminate 19 of them. So we said to our parents and our friends and our staff and anyone we could find, 20 people, we said, read all 120 stories, grade them on a scale of one to 10, you know, read 9.5, you know, 10.5, but just that's it. So we took all the names, all the stories put them on an Excel spreadsheet, averaged them. Anything less than a nine never got in the book. And we ended up doing that. It became a science for us. We had Republicans and Democrats and people who don't vote and independents. We had Jews and Christians and Muslims and uh, people that are not spiritual at all. We had rural people, suburban people, urban people, you know, old and young, all that. And they would read all the stories. Sometimes we'd have 200 stories that we thought were good. And only the ones that scored... You know the top 101 would get in the book so we weren't afraid of feedback feedback is the breakfast of champions as as ken blanchard who wrote the one minute manager said so one of the things i teach in the book and in the workbook is a question you want to ask everyone you're in a relationship with your spouse your girlfriend or boyfriend your your employees your staff your vendors your friends on a scale of one to ten how would you rate and then you can fill in the blank me as a husband this week me as your father, me as this, this interview that we're doing right now, me as your boss working here, this real estate transaction, whatever. Anything less than a 10 gets a follow-up question. What would it take to make it a 10? That's where the value is. Now, I'll tell a self-revealing story here. I asked my wife that every Sunday night. I, I usually get an eight or a nine, sometimes a 10. And one night, I got a four. This was early on when I, we still had kids at home. And I said, four so what would it take to make it a 10 and she said number one don't interrupt me when i'm telling a joke because you think you can tell the punchline better which i still claim i can but i've learned that it's not a good marital practice i don't do that anymore uh, number two i want you to put the kids to bed without me asking my job is to get them up to school your job is to make sure they go to bed i don't care if it's monday night football nba playoffs it's your job and don't ask don't make me ask and then number three she said have you ever heard of foreplay i said yeah she said, You might want to revisit that concept. I went, Oh, <laughs> like, I didn't want to hear that, right? But here's the deal. She had told her mother, her sister, her girlfriends, the people at Starbucks online, you know, anyone but me. But I'm the only one that could change it. And so most people don't ask for feedback because they're afraid of what they're going to hear. Nobody wants to hear negative feedback. But I can't get better as a husband, better as a trainer, better as an author if I don't ask for feedback so think of feedback as just course correction you know, an airplane flies to new york fewer of them today but they're flying to new york and what happens is the automatic pilot's always going you're too low come back up you're too high come back down you're too far to the east come back this way you're too far below. so the plane doesn't get upset it just says thank you i'll correct thank you i'll correct thank you i'll correct so we want to be thinking of this is a gift feedback is a gift and so be willing to ask for it and to correct it is the thing that's going to get us where we want to go.
1: I love that. Yeah, we we do a check-in, a a husband and wife check-in every single week as well and get feedback on how we can how we can show up better and we do little scorecards. That really just give us a good sense of, you know, what we can do better for the next week. So I love that and it's been so powerful for us and we don't ask enough feedback in a lot of different areas and definitely something we were going to incorporate more of because you're right, it just allows us to course correct and just Improve upon, you know, hopefully as we're serving this world. I love that so much All right The last question is, you know I've had the success principles book for quite some time and I've loved it and I've done a lot of the exercises on paper or in a journal Um, But you have created the workbook and what was the impetus? Were you getting a lot of feedback? (laughs) So to speak on creating something that felt very actionable for people
0: I was watching the difference between people who just read the book and people who would attend one of our seminars or go through our coaching program. And a lot of people reading the book were able to double and triple their income But if they did the work. And there are people, my favorite story is a guy in the Philippines who was a homeless person, literally homeless. I met him. I gave him a copy of my books and come to my seminar for free. And he came. I came back two and a half years later. He was a multimillionaire. And, I, and he came to my seminar. He's wearing a blue blazer and he's all dressed up. He's wearing gold Doc Martin shoes, if you can imagine that. And he had all these people in these blue polo shirts with the same uh, logo on it coming in. And I said, you're John Caleb. You, you interviewed me when I was here and you were homeless. What happened? You look different. He said, yeah. He said, and he went on about all the things. He had three exotic cars. He had taken all these seminars with you know, Tony Robbins and me and so forth. And he said, I read your book. And I said, well, a lot of people read my book. He said, I know, but I did every single thing in it. He said, you were successful. I was not. You were happily married. I was not. I said, I'm going to spend one year doing what's in his book. And if I do everything, I'll either waste a year or my life will work. And he said, it worked. So, But not everyone does that. So I wrote this book. I'm going to hold it up, The success Principles Workbook. And basically, what I wanted to do was put a coaching program between the covers of a book. So people would actually do the exercises, do the work that we just suggested in the actual book. But now they have a place to write it down. They have a place to capture in their journal. They have a place. We we have this thing called Make It a Habit Worksheets, where we want it to become Velcroed into your brain. Right now, if you ask me my phone number, I can tell you. If you ask me, you know, the five causes of the Civil War, I'm not so sure I could. If you ask me the six questions on a difficult and troubling experience, most people couldn't answer that, but I can because it's become a part of the way I think in life. So basically that's what we want this book to do. There are 17 chapters. Each chapter could take a week to do. I'm thinking about four months. With this home sheltering that we're all doing right now, cocooning in our homes, and most people are saying it's a 10-week process, a 10-week window. You could literally do the exercises maybe every two or three days. And you can order it on amazon.com or better go to the success principles, workbook.com and then it'll direct you to one of those, but you'll, you'll become, you'll get all these bonuses. And they're not the huge usual thing where there's 75 bonuses or three. One is you can get the first chapter downloaded before you even get it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble or books a Million. Three second one is you're going to be uh, able to attend a masterclass I'm doing, which is going to be an hour to an hour and 15 minutes of me Doing the keynote that I normally do that costs $35,000 for corporations and, and, and conventions and so forth. And the third thing is there's going to be a 10-week video coaching class that you'll get with it at the same time. So I would recommend doing that. But basically, literally coming out of this sheltering in place from the pandemic, you could be surfing the top of the wave and literally have transformed your life in this you know 10-week period. And as I like to say... For the cost of four or five Starbucks drinks, you can buy this book. And most of you are not going out to Starbucks anyway, right now. So you no, have
1: none of us are going to Starbucks right now. We have that money, we, we are saving that money.
0: <laughs> we're talking a $20 investment to change your life, you know. So I really encourage people to do that. And um, I don't need to make another dollar. I hope you're clear about that. I, I literally have sold 500 million books. 500 million. So for me, this is an act of love, an act of service, an act of wanting to just pass it on, pay it forward.
1: I just want to take a moment because books a long time ago when I was a little girl changed my life. I was reading a book a day when I was younger and I always, I was talking about this a lot in the podcast that You know, you creating a book that is $20 or $15 or whatever Amazon is selling it for, Books a Million or Barnes and Noble, like what is in here, the value is so exponential. So I just wanted to just take a moment and say, thank you so much for putting everything that you've learned Over all the years think that you've practiced think that you've the stories that that you've interviewed and then you put it into A book that each and every one of us can activate and a workbook that we can work through Literally right now every single day To change our life to change our results to create the life that we want I just want to say thank you so much for doing that for us
0: Well, you are so welcome and I appreciate the feedback
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, Jack, any other place you would like to come and check you out? So we're going to put that link in for the workbook in the show notes because all those awesome bonuses, the, the the 10-week workshop and the keynote talk and everything, we'll have that in the show notes. Anywhere else we should go and check you out if we want to go deeper?
0: Yeah, if you want to go deeper, just go to my website, jackcanfield.com. And uh, we have some online courses there that you can participate in. There are a bunch of free resources that we also have. I have a YouTube channel uh, I have a huge Facebook page, uh, you know, Instagram presence. So we have over 1.3 million people on Facebook, about 317 Twitter followers, et cetera. So if you want to be getting daily input, and we also now, we, we have a success TV channel we're doing right now too, which has about 40 episodes of me interviewing successful people, people like you and other people, not you yet, but we'll get there. But uh, people that are in this world that are, change makers and transformational teachers and so forth. We have so many resources, ridiculous. Also in the back of the, uh, the workbook, there's a place to go online to the success where you can, I've listed 200 of the most influential books of my life that have, have changed my life. I used to read a book a day too. I've read over 3000 books. Just give me an idea. I'm going to write a book called the books that changed my life. I think I'll do that. But anyway, if you're wondering what to read, Those are the books that have created the things that I believe in and the things that I'm teaching.
1: I love it. Thank you so much. Oh, I can't wait to check out that resource. I think this is the first book we should start with, and then we can move on to the other ones as well. Jack Campbell, thank you so much for jumping on today, allowing me to interview you. This is such a poignant time, no better time to really shift the way that we think about how we live our life, and you have really given us the guide to do so.
0: Well, my pleasure. Truly my pleasure. This was fun. Thank you.
1: Thank you. So what did you think? Did you love Jack's interview as much as I did? Well, I just want to take a moment and say thank you so much for listening into this episode today. I know that this time right now is not easy, and I know that not every day is going to be the best day, but I want to invite you to look for the good because even in difficult situations, there's always a little bit of good that's going on. And if it's hard to find, I invite you right now or sometime later today to close your eyes. And take some deep belly breaths where six count in and six count out. And ask yourself, how do I want to feel? Now once you tap into how you want to feel, whether it's love or it's joy, happiness, expansion, whatever that is, good feelings, I want you to close your eyes and think of a time when you felt that way. Think of a memory or maybe it's even multiple memories and allow those memories to wash over you and feel that emotion permeate every single cell in your body and just sit with that for a moment. Now this is an exercise I do every single day for about five to 10 minutes. And what I love so much about this exercise is even when I'm feeling stuck, especially when I'm feeling stuck, all of a sudden I get into this great, good feeling, emotion, I'm remembering all these beautiful memories And it just puts me into a mode of creative ideas. So all of a sudden, that problem I'm trying to solve or that circumstance I feel like I'm stuck in, I'm able to just work my way out of it because all of these incredible ideas and and solutions start to pop into my head. And when we can create and think about solutions from a state of feeling good, oh my gosh – it just opens up the door for greater possibility so i just wanted to share that with you right now because i know right now i can feel sometimes where you just don't have you don't know how you're going to solve that problem or you don't know how you're going to get out of that situation and this has been such a beautiful tool for me to help me move out of those moments I just want to recognize that I realize that this is a different type of conversation than we normally have here on the podcast, but I wholeheartedly believe that you deserve to create the life that you want to live along with feeling happy and healthy too. And I truly believe that Jack Canfield's book, Success Principles, along with his new companion workbook, are powerful resources to help support you right now, especially during this time of uncertainty. And at the very least, it will reframe your thinking. Now, I've already been using the workbook myself, and it is organized and laid out in a way that really allows you to build a complete plan for getting what you want in life, from dreaming the big dreams, to setting achievable goals, to reach those dreams, to breaking down those goals into daily tasks. And he's got all of the awesome bonuses that come along with it. So I will have the bonus book page and the link to the book in this episode, which is 182. I know that you're going to love grabbing these resources. And I just want to also mention that Jack had mentioned the echo meditation that he loves that involves EFT. So in case you want to check out that meditation, I will have the link to the website, which is EFTUniverse.com. And you can go and give the echo meditation a try. I definitely am going to give it a try this week myself. It sounded really incredible. And sometimes we just got to tap those emotions out. And then lastly, I want to quickly let you know that we have been devoting a ton of episodes to supporting you during this time. Really, ever since episode 172, I have been interviewing experts on how to thrive during the pandemic and also areas to support you during this time. So some episodes to go check out if you haven't already is episode 175, Top 10 Ways to Immediately Boost Your Immunity and Stay Healthy, 177 how to boost your immune system by healing your gut 178 how to banish stress with three strategies 179 how to thrive during a pandemic and quarantine and 180 how to overcome anxiety by managing your mindset with dr joan rosenberg so jill those are just a couple five episodes that you can dive into if you are feeling like you need a little extra support right now and there will be more to come in the coming weeks I want you to know that we are in this together and I wanna provide you with the best resources as we navigate this together. And thank you so much again for stopping by on this podcast. On the next episode, I'm bringing a fellow stress expert, Dr. Heidi Hanna, and she's gonna share her tips on how to instantly circuit break stress and overwhelm. Now, Dr. Hanna is so dialed in on how to help people move quickly out of stress. So if you or anyone that you know is struggling with shutting off that stress switch, this is a must listen to episode. She is just a rock star when it comes to understanding the mechanisms and how to get ourselves back to a state of calm and relaxation. So, until then, I am sending you so much love and continuing to support you every way I can on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. So, definitely plug into those as well. And until then, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye.